Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm a People's Choice Podcast Award-nominated host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach, and this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, you'll be hearing from a lawyer-turned-novelist who will inspire you with her story of how she dropped everything to pursue her dream to become a writer. And in listening to her, you'll gain spiritual and practical tools for manifesting your dreams and learn how to detach yourself from the judgment of others to become your full self. But before that, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you love the show and it's helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps bring the show visibility, push it up the charts, and I read every single one and they mean so much. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or on Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Now to the guest. Her name is Jacqueline Goldis. She's a novelist, and her debut novel, When We Were Young, was just released in February of 2021. I started reading it, and I can already tell you it is fantastic. It's a must-read. Surprisingly, Jacqueline isn't just a published author, but she's also an estate lawyer by trade. In fact, she did that for seven years before she up and quit to travel the world and finally pursue writing full-time. She did that just as she was about to be made partner of her firm. She's basically the definition of courage. What I love about Jacqueline's story is that it is yet another reminder to all creatives and dreamers that money is never going to be as fulfilling as following your dreams. If you're still scared of taking that leap, you're not alone. Not that long ago, like five years ago, maybe less than that, Jacqueline was scared too. Her story is a reminder that you don't need to know how your journey ends. You just need to spend it doing what you love and committing to that joy of creation, no matter how long it takes. Now here she is, Jacqueline Goldis. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm super inspired by you and your story and grateful that you're here. Oh, you are so kind. I'm so happy to be here. So I want to go back to when this spark to become a writer was first ignited. Do you remember the first time you're like, yeah, I want to do that? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I don't have a memory in life of when that wasn't my, not just dream, but my intention. As like a little kid, I was writing stories. I think before I could even write, I was telling stories about the animals kind of in our forest and I was drawing all these pictures. You had a forest? We had a forest, yeah, a forest in our backyard. Wow. (laughs) And I'm on video narrating my story of the animals, you know? Um, Yeah, and then, I mean, when I could start writing, I was always writing stories. I was, you know, my siblings probably could get annoyed because I was monopolizing our family computer and I was always... I was always writing. I felt just all lit up when I was doing it. I've always felt like that. So it really always felt like my path, even though I, I took a massive kind of detour. <laughs> well, sometimes we need to do that. In my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is Edward Elby. Sometimes you have to go a long way out of the way in order to get to the right place correctly. And I have definitely found that to be true in life. And we'll get to that with you. You mentioned that it wasn't just your dream, but your intention. What does that mean? You know, I think sometimes people say that they have a dream and it's this very lofty thing that they don't, maybe they don't even ever expect to achieve it. Um, But I think for me, it was like, it was always very closely held. And even if it didn't seem like I was necessarily straight on that path, I, I always was in my head. In my head, I was always where I was aiming. That's a great point. 
was writing and creativity encouraged in your household? Like when you would say, I'm going to be an author someday, how was that met by your parents? Yeah, it's interesting. So my dad's a Soviet immigrant. He um, came to America with 26 cents from the Soviet Union when he was 28 and, you know, built himself according sort of like the American dream. So in my house, it was like, no, you get a career that makes money. And also it's funny, you know, my dad was very, um, I think sports kind of saved him when he was young. So that was what was encouraged in our house. Hmm. So I always had to play sports. My mom was very encouraging of my writing, but it was always kind of like, okay, you're going to go down a more career oriented, money oriented path. And you can always write on the side. It was, you know, it was looked at as like a side thing, even though they were always complimentary. And yeah. It's so interesting because my associate producer, her name is Emily, and we just did a whole episode together. Her parents are also Soviet Mm. Russian immigrants, and it was a very similar thing. Her parents actually wanted her to be an optometrist or an (laughs) ophthalmologist because they thought that was like the easiest way to be a doctor. I love that. Um, And, you know, she she had all these creative aspirations. She wanted to be an actress and a writer. And they're like, no, 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 no. But it wasn't because they didn't love her. It's because they wanted to protect her. But still, even with that intention, it can do some damage and really start the role of the inner critic within you. So how have you overcome that voice of, well, this isn't really a smart path. It's not really safe. You should do something different. How do you deal with that voice of the inner critic within yourself? Yeah. You know, it's such a good question. And I think our inner critic is is always shifting and we always kind of have to shift to meet it. But I I have never had the belief that the starving artist belief, I, I don't know why, but I really, I really haven't. I've always felt like this desire was placed in me for a reason and that it was somehow going to work out. So I think it's kind of, for me, it's really about tuning out the many, many voices that tell you, you can't do something because I really believe in law of attraction. And I believe that what you believe is what you're going to attract with artists, especially there can be a lack mindset of, you know, you can't make money doing this. Like all these certain beliefs that people think are just our reality. And I think they don't have to be reality. And I think, so, I, I mean, I'm constantly working on it. I don't think it's anything that you achieve and then you just keep, it's like, you constantly have to keep going back to, you know, what you believe can be true for you. But I think, I think so much more can be true for us than society says. True. And I think like thinking that you have an end date with your inner critic is like the wrong approach. It's like, how can you manage it? So like, Cause if you don't listen to it ever, it will start screaming at you, right. you know? So you have to be like, okay, I hear you. I know you want me to like be safe and, and that's great, but you're not helpful right now. So just like go over and sit in the corner and I'll listen to you tomorrow. Totally. You know, you almost have to like baby it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. You have to be gentle with it kind of, you know, Yeah. because fears are fears and we all have them, but I think that there is a way of navigating them that so that you don't fall into them kind of. Right. So that's not ruling you. That's the thing I talk about on the show a lot is like, take your out of the driver's seat. Like it's all right. If it's sitting shotgun better, if it's in the back or in the trunk or on the roof, but it's going to be there. It's part of being a human, but you just don't want it making the decisions, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because at least I, or I think everyone knows how it feels when fear is making the decisions. It's like, you feel like maybe you're living a life that's not. You're betraying yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you go through school, uh, high school, you go into college, you go to U of M. Were you at this point, like planning on being the path to law? Like, cause this is what you end up doing. You end up becoming this incredible lawyer but you always have believed and wanted to be a writer. Like what was this inner life like and what decisions were you making at the time that like geared you toward law? Yeah, I think that there was no part of me that thought I was going to graduate college and become a full-time writer. 
Because it's interesting. I've only ever really loved writing novels. At a certain point, I thought, oh, I'll be a journalist and that will satisfy it. Or even later, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go into trademark law and that has to do with journalism. And no, I did an internship and something having to do with trademark law. And it was awful, the most boring thing ever. Um, (laughs) But um, I didn't expect to start writing novels full time after college. I think definitely because of money. I mean, I think that I needed to have like a certain amount of savings for me to feel comfortable to take the leap. Mm. Um, I, I never wanted to be a doctor. That was never medical was not my thing. And my parents were very encouraging of the law path. And Law does utilize a lot of skills I have. I mean, you need to be a good writer. You need to think analytically. My parents kind of drilled it into me that I needed a career to fall back on. And that did make rational sense to me. Like, okay, this this author thing, you know, even though I I believe it's going to happen, the statistics are, you know, how many people get published traditionally, which is what I wanted. So I thought, okay, I'll have a career to fall back on and, you know, I'll work for a few years, save money, and then I'll leave. But as it turned out, I I worked longer than that. (laughs) Well, it happens to many of us. Like during this time, were you feeling tortured that you were making this choice or were you like, no, this is just a logical thing to do? Like, what was your inner life like? It felt logical. And also I was still writing. Like there wasn't a time that I stopped writing. Um, So I, I wrote on the side. I wrote Um, I wrote a novel, my first novel I wrote in high school uh, at 17. I wrote two novels in my 20s, um, one of which when I was in law school, one when I was working, and then I wrote a memoir while I was working. So I kept writing. I was always writing, and I was always taking courses, and I was always reading craft books, and it was always something I was investing in alongside. So I didn't really feel, it didn't feel like it was giving it up. It just didn't feel like the time to do it full time. Wow. So in your mind, you're like, you're still a writer. You're not like, cause a lot of people are like working that job, whatever their equivalent of law is, but then they're not making the time to do the thing that they love the most. So how did you make sure that you stayed vigilant to make sure that your dream was still keeping alive while you were in this busy law career? Like what tactically did you do to make the time and have the discipline to do that every day? Well, first of all, my creativity really fuels me. So I think that giving time and space to my writing gives me more energy in other areas of my life. I'm not saying that at every point in my legal career I was writing. I wasn't, but for me, it's like project-based. When I feel like going all in on a project, then I have to go all in on it and I can't can't let it up until I finish. It never felt like I was giving up writing. And and really, while I was um, a lawyer, I also was thought, okay, well, if I get an agent and I get a deal, then it will just be that much easier to quit. And that's not how it ended up happening, but that was something I was working towards. Yeah. And did you like, when you were writing, did you write in the mornings? Did you write at night? Like when did you find spaces to do it and how did you keep up with that? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not a big routine person. I'm not either. I hate it. (laughs) Right. Like I love being in flow. I just truly, I love waking up and seeing where I feel like letting the day take me. And I think it was like that then too. Some days I would write like all weekend or something or in mornings or I, you know, or evenings. It really could vary. Sometimes I wrote at work. Let's be honest. We all do. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Or I would take a very long lunch break. Uh, I lived 10 minutes from work and I would go home and write during the day sometimes. So that was really nice, truthfully, about being a lawyer because I had a very flexible schedule. Like people don't necessarily think of law like that, but I worked in estate planning, which people sometimes refer to as the dermatology of law. It's not, and and I picked it deliberately. I really actually loved it. It's it's the only type of law I would want to practice, but luckily it had a much more friendly work-life balance also. So that was important for me because I never, if I was working corporate law hours, I I don't know how I would have been able to maybe write as much. I mean, I would have still written because I would have had to, but 
that was nice for me. Yeah. What do you think is the point? Cause I know you're very spiritual and we'll get into that, but what is the point of being good? So good at something? Cause it seems like you're an amazing lawyer. It's something that isn't your passion. Like why spiritually, why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I was good at it, but I was never good. Like the other people in my group. And I don't say that in a self-deprecating way. I say that in a, they had a passion for it. Really everyone else in my group that showed because they, they cared. So it translated. And I just, as much as I tried, I could never have cared that much. Cause I just, I didn't feel it in my bones. I didn't care. I didn't really want to be there. And so I could be wrong. I mean, I guess you can fake it and you can effort it and you can muscle it, but I'm not such an effort and a muscle it person. So I don't think I was as good as I could have been. And it's not because you know, I don't have the talent that I could have done it, but I think I just didn't have the passion for it. I think passion actually translates like in some way to skill, you know? Oh yeah. I think it's for me, what I found in my journey is caring is the one thing you can't teach. You can't teach someone how to work hard. You can't teach someone how to care and you can't teach them how to be a good person. Anything else can be taught, but those three things are like, you either have it or you don't. I, I feel that too. Yeah. So during this time, when you're at the law journey at the law yes. journey, at the law journey, <laughs> uh, you're also like developing your spirituality. And so I, I'm curious about how you started really honing in on spirituality and what role that has played in your journey. Yeah, it's huge. I feel like spirituality is my foundation. And yeah, one of my best friends introduced me to a medium called Rebecca Rosen in my mid twenties. She was just a guest last week. I just listened to your episode. It was so amazing. I oh, loved thank it. You. Amazing. And it was such a, um, really, I'll never forget that time in my life because I grew up Jewish and while I connect to so much of the culture and tradition, I just never connected to the religion and the religion aspect. Like it didn't feed me. Like I could see how so many people, other people were fed by their relationship with you know, the Bible or something like it just, that wasn't it for me. And I think when I learned about, you know, it doesn't end when you die and, um, you know, we all have pieces of God inside of us and the law of attraction and like that I am a creator also, I just so much resonated with me and made me feel kind of more powerful at the same time as it made me feel supported. And I, I think it, in my writing journey also, it gave me more confidence. It was like feeling like this desire had been placed in me for a reason. And that if it did, I was going to be able to do something with it and I was going to be supported in it. And that's really how it's, it's felt. Yeah. Since you listened to the episode, when you have the desire in your heart and it's not happening though, it's very easy to think, well, like what's going on here? Like, God, did you put this in me just because you're messing with me? Like, how did you trust that even though it wasn't happening, it wasn't actualizing in that moment that it would eventually. Oh, that's the, I think that's the hardest part, right? It's like that, that space between when you, when you want something and it's manifested. I mean, yes, there were so many hard parts of the journey and, you know, my journey is not over and I, I feel like there are, you know, ups and downs, but I do remember a particularly difficult part jumping forward a little bit after I had left my job and I had been traveling and I'd been writing and I'd written this book and it was like two years later and I still hadn't gotten an agent and it just felt like I was almost pushing a boulder up a hill. And I felt really defeated because anything creative entails so much rejection and you really have to, you have to believe in yourself so much because the rejection otherwise can just flatten you. And I, I remember feeling, you know, like that at a certain point. And then I just, all of a sudden something clicked in me and I was like, you know what? I love to write it. 
brings me so much light. I am never going to give up. It can take the rest of my life. I may never get a publishing deal. I'm going to keep going. Like I'm never giving up. And I think a month later I got my agent or something. I think you had to make that agreement, right? Yeah. You had to make that God. I feel like God has to know that you're emotionally ready for what it takes to be a creative, what it takes to pursue your dreams, because it does take, like, it brings tears to my eyes. It does take that level of commitment. Oh, totally. Of knowing that it could take the rest of your life, but you're willing to take that risk to be yourself. And I just commend you so much for that. And it's such a great moment for us all to remember if you get back to the love, the journey will unfold in front of you. But if you're attached to the expectation or the outcome, it's going to oftentimes be withheld. Exactly. Oh, I, I so agree. And I also think that there's something about, like when I said I would never give up, it almost like relaxed my grip on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, instead of holding on so tight to it needs to happen this way and it needs to happen now, it was like something relaxed in it that I almost feel like gave space in the universe to work it out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because it's, if you're like, no, it has to happen now. It has to be right now. I mean, that's so binding, you know, it's also like closing yourself off from so much magic. And I think too, like, it's interesting that you're saying that. Cause I've recently had this, like literally in the past week, this kind of like this exhale mm. and feeling like I know what I want and it's fine if it's not coming right now. Cause I'm just going to keep on putting in the work until it comes. And I just like even the peace that that brings you, it's it's worth it. Like it's not worth it to walk around clutching life. It's just you, you then you miss out on the opportunity and you miss out on the moment. I agree. It's like it's worth it. Number one for the peace. And then I think, honestly, then the thing comes, you know, right. there was a point after my when I left law and. I think I stayed too long. And I just remember I would like be gripping my purse. Like I would be grip. Like I just felt like I was gripping onto things, you know? Wow. And it was literal. It was like really interesting. It was like physical. It was like really like my hands. Like I could see like I was holding onto like a blanket like that. It was just, it was crazy. I mean, I think how you do anything is how you do everything. So I think like letting go of that grip on life just brings things so much more easily. And like you said, more kind of miraculously, like yeah. you're, it's like leaving space for bigger miracles to come, you know? I mean, just even the physical, like, look, I mean, if we, cause I we're on video right now, if I'm clutching like this, nothing can drop into my hands. Yeah. If I open them up, anything could happen. I could hold anything. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful visual. So let's, let's talk about how you actually left because Jill, your friend who you've, you've referenced a couple of times, who's helping me with the show and has been booking people and is wonderful and just yes. uh, has become a great friend and ally was telling me about how you tried to leave a bunch of times. Like you would tell yourself you were going to leave this job and then it would get to the end of the year and you're like, oh, maybe next year. What was going on during that time? Like and what kind of fear were you hearing that kept you staying there? Yeah. When I look back in those last years working, it's such an interesting experience. Like I had certain money goals, you know, to be able to save a certain amount to leave, to really give myself comfort. I'm a Taurus. I'm grounded. I like feeling like financially secure. So I really wanted that. But at a certain point I could have, I really could have left. I think I was scared. I was scared for so many reasons. I mean, I was living in Chicago. I knew I didn't want to be in Chicago anymore. I really overstayed my welcome in Chicago. Um, I'm such a beach person. I'm such a warm weather person. So it was you don't like, like it when your eyeballs freeze. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no weird. <laughs> it was like, I felt like truly it was stifling my spirit. Like I felt like those gray, cloudy, cold days were just stifling my spirit, but I really didn't know where I wanted to go. And now I live in Tel Aviv and it's my journey with Israel has been very interesting because 
I came here as a kid and I felt just a soul connection. I just, every time I came here, it was such a soul connection. And I think now looking back then I didn't come my entire twenties. And I really think cause I, it's because I would have felt like almost painful to come here and have to leave. So at a certain point I had thought, okay, maybe I'll move to Tel Aviv for a little. And then somehow that plan was scrapped. And all of a sudden I started thinking about traveling the world. And like, I was really having a travel bug, but I think part of the reason I wasn't pulling the trigger also is because I was scared to travel the world alone. Like I knew that that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was feeling called to do, but that just felt so risky. And it was like, where am I going to end up? I mean, I was 32 and I left like, this feels like an age where, I mean, this is an age where a lot of my friends are settling down and having kids and I'm doing this like insane thing. (laughs) You know, I'm going to all their weddings and I'm like, bye guys. It did feel like crazy. So I wow. think that I needed a few. I'm 32 right now too. And I just feel you. Yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm 37 now and my life is still very untraditional. So I think like the age markers that we have in our head, you know, it's like, it's kind of the fear talking. And I had to kind of go beneath yeah. that and say, this is my journey and this is what I want to do. And so I think the couple of years that I was vacillating, it, I always knew I was going to do it, you know, and I think my friends who heard me talk about it so many times maybe some of them had doubts like, well, she keeps talking about this and she keeps not doing it. But in my head, I was always like, no, I know I'm going to do this. It just was kind of a, when does this feel comfortable? And finally I kind of killed myself to get my hours in to get my bonus that year, which was astronomically high. It had been really high the year before. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get this like killer bonus. I worked until October in December. I got my bonus. And then the next week I gave my notice. So I was like, done. <laughs> Did the check clear before you quit? Yes. I clear. Oh yes. Good. I made sure. I made sure the check cleared. That was the key. Thank God. That was a key part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> like let that thing hit the bank account. Yeah, first. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I love the part you mentioned about how you've been telling people and you hadn't done it and your friends were doubting you. It seems like that didn't truly affect you, but I think a lot of times, like there have been times in my life, like even with past relationships where I'm like, I think I'm going to break up with this person. I think I'm going to break up with this person. And it took like a year to do it. And that, that was just the right timing for whatever reason it was. But I remember feeling like when people knew about my plan and I hadn't executed it yet, like some level of shame. Oh yeah. Did you experience that at all? And how did you get back to yourself and just knowing you were trusting your own timing? Yeah, I do remember like a few kind of jokes of like, well, is she actually doing this or whatever? But the truth is, you know, my last few years actually at my job, I kind of forgot about this, but I was also writing a memoir um, about my dad's life. And I was doing that simultaneously with working and it was kind of just very intense. Um, so I think everyone knew I was serious because it's not like I wasn't writing and doing things like that. So I don't know that I felt the shame piece really about that. And when I finally made the decision, I felt very much like this is the right thing. And, you know, I, I'm lucky too, because I remember so vividly my last week in Chicago and it was so overwhelming in hindsight, I should have spaced things out, but I like my last day of work was on a Friday. I moved out of my apartment in Chicago. I moved back to my parents' house in Michigan. And then I left to travel the world on Sunday. So it was like such a whirlwind. And I remember it was so emotional. And I remember calling my mom and saying, do you think I'm doing the right thing? And, you know, I, my parents are very much, um, make money, have a good career. And my mom said, I absolutely think you're doing the right thing. Like, this is what you're meant. And it was so, I just remember bawling on the street when she said that to me, because you know, I think number one, we have to give ourselves the permission, but it's so nice when people we love can give us permission too. It's such a gift. I mean, for us to remember to give to other people too, you know, permission to like, go do what your heart's calling you to do. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was also deeply seeing you in that moment. She was seeing beyond her own fear Yeah, totally. to empower you to do what you want to do. And that was like her blessing. And I'm sure that gave you a little extra push and pep in your step as you were doing this thing that the world might deem quote unquote crazy yeah. to know that like 
your mom had your back, even given her immense fear and what she had overcome as an immigrant in this country, trying to make a life that must have been a lot of wind beneath your wings. Yeah, it really was. It was really meaningful when she said that. Yeah. And I understand why you did it quickly because you probably didn't want to think too much about yeah. it because if you did, you wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, get the hell out of Chicago. I was like, finish my job. Just leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did it feel like the, okay. So maybe not the day after, cause you were like moving and your head was in that, but like after it sunk in, what did it feel like? What were some of the initial thoughts you had about what you just did? So right after I left, the first place I went to was LA to see Jill and a couple of our other friends. And then I went to Hawaii to meet my parents for two weeks. And then I went to South Africa to meet a girlfriend for a few weeks. So for my first kind of month and a half, I was with people. And then from South Africa, I decided to go to Thailand for a month by myself. So when I was in South Africa, I started, that was like the first time I really started feeling like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know? And I remember being on the plane to Thailand and I just... I think I had like a little bit of a breakdown of like, what am I doing? Where am I going to end up after? How is this going to work out? I know no one in this country. It was like, it was really terrifying. I think I, um, I don't even remember what song it was, but I listened to like the same song over and over and just like <laughs> stop my panic attack. <laughs> um, but, um, but I don't know, somehow I knew it was going to work out. I, I really had no clue how I, it did not make sense to me how it was going to work out. And I thought I was going to end up back in the States, but nowhere in the States sounded good to me to live. So I was like, how is it going to work out that I'm going to go back there? But like, there's nowhere I want to live. I don't know. It was just, it was just such a massive exercise in trust. Like that plane ride really sticks out to me. And at this point you had no plan, right? Like you were just traveling and seeing what would happen. Yeah, I had no plan. And actually I didn't even want to start writing then. Like I, I really, I felt so burnt out from writing my, this memoir at the same time as I was working, trying to make my hours. I was so burnt out. It was like my clutching onto life phase. And I just wanted to give myself like six months to just relax. And I'm such a believer in relaxing. I'm just not a believer in working hard. And so I, I'm so glad I gave myself that. And I mean, I continue to give myself moments like that, but it was, it was nice to have those six months of just enjoyment. I think that a lot of us are really detoxing from hustle culture right now, or like trying to, or at least acknowledging that it exists and has brainwashed us. Like I have been an overworker my whole life and I'm finally realizing like, that's not the way. What is the role of rest and rejuvenation in creation? For me, it's huge. You know, I, I hesitate to say, I don't believe in hard work. Cause I feel like that carries so many um, connotations that people might misinterpret, but I don't think you have to kill yourself working to be successful and to well, just think about those words. Like, let's just pause for a minute. Hard work, hard work. Right. Right. What are we hoping to get from that? Right. Hard work. We should, if we're going to say like working with the fullness of who you are and all of your abilities, we have to find a, a shorter way to say that because hard work, I never thought about the fact that those two words don't really belong together. <laughs> Like it's, it's very rough and angry and aggressive. And how could anything flourish within that phrase? Yes, I really agree. And I think, you know, it's interesting again, coming as the daughter of a Soviet immigrant, my dad used to, I remember in high school, he used to call us and he would literally say, what are you doing? That's productive. That would be his question. We would be home. We would be home watching like 90210. And he's like, what are you doing? That's productive. And I'm, we're like, Oh, doing homework, cleaning. I mean, what you, I'm watching the TV. I mean, what do you yeah. think I'm doing? I mean, so that's what I feel like we grew up with, but yeah, I just, 
I believe that when I'm enjoying myself and I am rested and I am my most lit up version of myself, then I feel like what I can write and create like the first time off the bat even is so much better than what I would do if I was like pushing it. So I just don't believe that sheer amount of work or hours or input is, is going to make you successful or happy or any of that. Agreed. It creates space. Yeah. And then, so you do these travels for about six months, you said, what do you think you learned from those travels that like, I mean, I'm sure it's millions of things, but like, what would you say is like the high level lesson you learned from doing all that about yourself and about you as a creative? I mean, first of all, that I'm so taken care of. I can't explain the amount of just miracles and serendipitous occurrences. And, and I have, you know, beliefs that are less positive that I, that I work on. But one belief I really do have is that everything works out for me. And I just feel like my travels were that illustrated. It was like, even just being guided to Israel, like I thought I was coming here for a month and then just people fell into my lap, you know, then I, I kept traveling, but then I would keep coming back here. And it was like, I took this leap, but then I was so held Mm. and I was so guided. And it was like, I wouldn't know what I was going to do. I was like at a crossroads and then some person would be like, come here with me. And I don't know. It was just, I felt very much in flow and yeah. And it really just showed me how supported I was. That's beautiful. And then, so you mentioned it was two years from the time you quit your job to when you had your big break as a writer. Can you take me through those two years? Like what led up to it? And then how did you manifest? Cause I know you believe in the law of attraction. Yeah. This opportunity for your work to be seen in a bigger way. Yeah. You know, this book that just came out is the book I wrote when I was traveling. And since then I've written three books. So it's such a funny, like it's such a long process, but that book is kind of different than the other three books that have come out. And that I would say it was more an effort. And I learned so much because of the effort of it. I learned so much as a writer, like how to write a plot and, a, and characters that sell, I guess. Um, so the two years kind of that I was writing it and revising it and hiring editors, and it was kind of like a masterclass for me. Like I didn't get an MFA, even though I've taken a lot of, you know, writing classes and courses and read a million books and have always been a voracious reader. But I think for me, that was almost my MFA is like learning how to write this book that was going to sell. And because I don't want to say it's a formula, but it is a little bit of a formula. You have to learn a little bit, that kind of thing. And so, so even though I kept wanting it to happen faster, I think the book wasn't in the shape it was going to need to be in to attract the agent I wanted. And that's why it took two years. And so in hindsight, when I look back at it, I'm grateful, you know, it wasn't, you know, even if I'd gotten an agent earlier, it wouldn't have sold. So I think that I just needed to go through this whole process. And it was such a learning process because it's made my three books since come out so much easier and better off the bat. So it's like, you think it's that you're in the struggle and you're like, why is it taking so long? But I think that I, you know, I needed to do all of that to kind of be the writer I am today. And I've heard a story about Picasso that he was like at, I don't know if you've heard this, but like he was at a restaurant and um, a couple asked him to draw something on a napkin or something. And so he did it and he was like, okay, that'll be a million dollars. And then they're like a million dollars. You just did that in like three seconds. And he's like, it took me 50 years to learn how to do that in three seconds, you know? (laughs) And so I think that, you know, those two years for me were my learning curve. And, um, and then I had the moment of, you know, feeling very defeated and like, is it ever going to happen? And then I had my come to, you know, Jesus moment, which like, I'm going to persist through anything. And then, yeah. And then after it was really serendipitous, I had paid for 
this first chapter critique, there's this amazing website if you're a writer called Manuscript Academy. And um, you can pay for agents to critique your first chapter for a really reasonable fee. And I paid for this top agent to critique mine. And she ended up just saying, I love it. Send me the whole book. And so the rest is history from there. Yeah. (laughs) So did you, because you've talked about the law of attraction and manifesting, like, did you actually write out like, I want this and then like visualize it and think about it? Or was it more just that once you opened the space, this opportunity kind of fell into your lap? Yeah, I knew I wanted an agent at a top agency and I really kind of wanted someone more at the midpoint of their career, like maybe more in like thirties, forties, where it's not like they were just starting out, but they also didn't have a massive, you know, roster of blockbuster clients. Um, and it's exactly who I manifested. So yeah, I, I don't know that I really set like such a specific intention with it, but in my head, those were my preferences. Yeah. And were you like feeling into that or were you just kind of keeping it in the back of your mind? Yeah, I think I was feeling into it. I think that's typically what I do when I'm trying to manifest something. Like I try to visualize. Um, I actually do something. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jose Silva. He's amazing. No. But um, he combines sort of visualization with hypnotherapy so that you can sort of hypnotize yourself. And I do this a lot of mornings. It's like you kind of count. It's very easy. You count backwards from 100 to zero. And then you just kind of imagine when you're more in like a hypnotized state. So I do do that. Okay. Jose Silva, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll check it out. How does Israel inspire you? Oh my gosh. I love it here so much. Tel Aviv inspires me the most. Um, It's like, you know, Israel, I I love Israel, but I love Tel Aviv. I live kind of steps from the Mediterranean and um, I love that it's a small city. I walk down the street and I see three people I know, or, you know, it's really kind of close knit like that. Um, And then just the history here, like when you travel the country and you go from the North where it's like leafy green, lush to the South, the desert, it's just like, there's so much topography and geography in like one small country. And one of the novels I've written since is set in Israel. So I'm really excited about that one. And I've actually also just written a kid's book that's set here. So definitely it's inspiring my writing. Uh, Speaking of reading your books, I just started reading your new book. You just had your debut novel with a major publisher. It's called When We Were Young. It's so good. I'm only on the second chapter, but I can't wait to keep reading. It's like... I mean, any person's probably experienced like a love that kind of got away from them or that was unresolved. And it feels like that's going to be a major part of it. I'm so excited to keep checking it out. But first of all, can you just tell me how you're feeling now that you've seen this dream that was planted in your heart as a young kid in the forest (laughs) realize like, what does it feel like pushing your creative baby out into the world in such a major way? Oh, well, thank you so much. First of all. Um, and Wow. It feels so good. I can't even tell you, but for so many reasons that, you know, it feels like about time. (laughs) That's how it feels like, okay. Like it's, yeah, it was time for this to happen. It feels like just the beginning though. You know, it's like, I feel like I'm just at the start of something. And I think it was a really good mindset to go into it because it's so easy in any creative path, I think, to compare yourself to the people who are, you know, becoming New York Times bestsellers or they're getting this press or whatever. And I I saw that like, you know, it's very easy to compare yourself. And I'm not saying that I wasn't doing that at points, but I really do feel like for me, it's like a long game, you know, like I said that, you know, I'm doing this forever. Like, that's how I feel. Like I want to be doing this for the rest of my life. You know, I never want to not be writing. So 
I just feel like, okay, like this first marker of what I've wanted to achieve my whole life has happened. And now I'm like really ready to get the rest of it, you know, on the ball rolling. But it's also been so beautiful to hear people's reactions to this thing that came out of my imagination. It's really, it's been really special. And and also it has like the story in it. I was very inspired by the story of the Jews of Corfu on the Greek islands. Many people don't know that the Nazis conquered the Greek islands and kind of mm. decimated the island's Jewish populations. And it, I think it's stories that are lesser told and that story is part of my novel. And so it's meaningful also for me to be able to tell that story. Yeah, it feels it feels great. And I just feel like, okay, I'm ready to keep going. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So I think you're the first novelist I've had on the show. So I'm just curious, like when you're writing, do you actually hear the characters' voices? Like how do they come through you? So when I write, I, I really feel like it's channeling. Like, I don't feel like it's me doing the writing. And I feel, I feel very much like that with the storytelling process for me. Like, it's like, I can't push a book. Um, I have to let it kind of unfold. And I feel like that at every level of the process, like even I just got some edits for my agent before we go on submission with my kids book. And you know, when I first got them, I was like, how am I going to do this? They, they felt really complicated and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I just, kind of let it sit in me and it takes however long it takes. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I know how to do this. So I feel like it just pours through me. Um, I mean, I just hear the words. Yeah. And I find myself like saying the words as I write them. Yeah. I love that. Do you plot it out first? Like, do you do an outline and then you go into the writing process? Yeah, I do. Um, I like to plot. Um, Like I know the big plot points, like the beats of the story, but I like to leave room kind of in the middle for, you know, magic and surprises, but I feel like some, some writers feel constrained by plotting. And I feel like for me, the process is spiritual still when I'm doing it. It's like, I can't just sit down and plot that won't work for me. Like I need actually a lot of quiet when I'm plotting. I feel like then my story kind of speaks to me and I am like figuring it out what it wants to be. So for me, like the plot doesn't feel constraining. It feels kind of like I'm discovering it. Yeah. 
And I was going to ask you how you like get through creative blocks, but it kind of sounds like for you, if you come up with a creative block, you just say, okay, not right now and go back to it later. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I was just talking to a girlfriend about it because it's funny. We were talking about our dating lives and I was like, I just want to like copy paste how I am with like books into my dating life (laughs) because it's like, I do have this belief that like, it's just going to like, the story is going to come. I don't feel like I feel ever feel writer's block because it's just like, okay, it's gonna, it's gonna sort of come to me when it wants to come. Like I sort of almost think of story as this like separate entity. And it's just like telling me what it wants to be. Yeah. I don't usually put like pressure on it. How do you think you could copy paste it into your dating life? Cause I, I feel you on that. Like, actually, I think I'm a little bit more relaxed with that than I am with my career, but it is difficult. Like, especially you mentioned like when you were 32 and seeing all your friends, like taking this next step and having babies and kids, like, do you, do you want that? And like, how does that factor into your creative goals? And how do you not let that, like the, Oh my God, time's like running out, crush you down. Like you're on your own timeline. We're all on our own timeline, but it's like when you've been raised in a traditional culture, I'm also from Michigan. So yeah, coming from the Midwest, it's like, Oh, you're not married. And with a kid, by the time you're in your late twenties, well, forget you, you know, how do you deal with that feeling as a creative? Yeah. I mean, look, yes, I definitely, I really want a partner and I want kids. And I think for me, I think it's harder like in that area than in like my writing career to tune out the voices, even though I do, but it, yeah, it can be really hard sometimes, you know, and, and not even the voices of what society expects for me, but like my own biology of like, okay, I want this. And, you know, but I think that my spiritual beliefs like really help in that area too, because it's like, I believe that everything is possible that I want. And I believe that like what society and even sometimes science tells us is very limiting. And so I mean, I see plenty of people having kids well into their forties, very healthily and easily. And so I think that there's so much fear mongering kind of in the world towards women and our biological clocks. And so I'm grateful for my spiritual beliefs in that aspect, because I think that they really make me feel like I'm supported. Yeah. If I want it, it's going to happen. I try to have the same mindset, even though it's harder for me in this area, but I try to have the same mindset I did when I you know, wanted my agent. It's like, I'm, yeah, I want this, you know, so I'm not like going to stop wanting it. Like it's going to happen. I'm going to, you know? Yeah, no, I believe that for you too. I mean, it's like anything's possible. And I think having that belief that like what's meant for me will never miss me does alleviate a lot of the pressure that we can feel with these traditional deadlines. It really does. Yeah. Okay. So if somebody's listening and they're in the law stage of their journey, so where you were when you were at the law firm, what advice would you give them on how to tactically transition into their creative passion? You know, I think that there's so many ways to do creativity. And so I think that it's learning how to listen to your intuition in terms of what you want and what is going to serve you. Because for me, it was like, everyone was always like, you can just write on the side. And I was just, that was not what I wanted to do. I mean, I did it for a while, but it was like, no, I want to do this full time. Like that is what I want. That's what I believe I can have. And I don't think that that's the right decision for everyone, but I think that if you're wanting to write a book and you're working at a law firm or you're wanting to do anything creative, it's like, if you want it so much, you will make time for it. And also you can make plans. Plans are good, but I think it's like making plans and then letting life kind of take you too. It's like making plans that go with the flow of life versus against them, you know? So for me, it was probably spending longer at the law firm than I would have maybe ideally done, but it was kind of just going with life at that point. 
if you want it, then just commit to it. Say you're going to have it no matter what comes in your path or what obstacles, because we all have time in the day that we allocate to certain things, you know, so spend less time on social media, spend less time watching TV or, or with people that aren't kind of lighting you up as much as your art is. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like for you too, like just to speak through some of the tactics you use, you had a specific number in mind that you wanted to meet like money-wise in order to make yourself feel safe enough to go. Yeah. So I think like sometimes the reason we're not making a leap is because we don't feel safe enough to make the leap. And there's like a reason behind it. It's not like fake fear. It's actually like legitimate fear. So if there's like a legitimate fear that you have naming it, And then finding a solution to it can be the thing that's standing in between you and going toward your dream. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that our dreams should be handled very carefully. And I think that don't share them with people who aren't going to meet them with a beautiful, welcoming vibration. Like, I don't think you owe anyone your dreams. I think that should be shared with people you feel like are going to nurture them. And also, I really can't say enough about having people on your team supporting whatever you want. You know, maybe it's not your family and friends. Maybe those aren't the people who are like your yes people. But I think finding coaches or therapists or I love healers or whoever, it's like how my mom gave me permission. I think you need people in your life who are giving you permission and telling you that what you're doing is great. Yeah. (laughs) Because it won't be everyone in your life. But having some people, I think it's like, it's your chorus of kind of support. I think that's important. So, and we've talked about your spiritual practice a lot. But do you have any like practice? I know you say you don't like to be regimented, but any practice you kind of stick to day to day or certain things that have really helped you that you'd recommend for a listener? Yeah, totally. Um, Well, first of all, I learned Vedic meditation, which is similar to transcendental meditation like eight years ago. And I've been doing it once or twice a day ever since, like for 20 minutes each time. And that for me is huge. I just, I love that kind of meditation. It puts me in such a good mood after and it just clears my system I also do, for the past few years, I've been doing weekly breathwork sessions and I love breathwork. It's so, I feel like, um, like I, I used to do therapy and I think therapy is great, you know, at certain times and for certain reasons, but breathwork is like an embodiment practice. So you're in your body and I love that kind of work. Like it always brings things up and what is it exactly? Like you, you're just breathing. (laughs) Well, yeah, basically, um, what, what it is, is like, it's a circular breathing practice that you do through your mouth. It's not through your nose. The practitioner can kind of see where your breath is stuck in which kind of chakras it's stuck in and it moves like the breath through your body and it brings up like anything that you're going through. It just brings it up. And I mean, I have just cry a lot, cry, or sometimes I have the most beautiful, positive, like I feel just like love or I feel peace or yeah, it's really, it's amazing. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Wow. So those are probably your two then the Vedic meditation and the breath work. Yeah. And being in nature. Like I try to go, actually I go to sunset a lot and like staring at the sun, like having the sun. I don't know. I love that. Or like going swimming. I love anything in nature. I love. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the quickest ways. That's like a peace and spirituality, uh, steroid, right. It's just like really submerging yourself, getting away from technology, just going back to source. Totally. Um, what is a book that you've read that has inspired your journey or you as a creative? Like what is there one book? Like if you had to look through all the ones you've read that has inspired you the most that you'd recommend for someone to read? Hmm. I mean, so I'll tell you too, my, my favorite fiction book that I read when I was in high school is Beach Music by Pat Conroy. It's just stunning. He's such a stunning writer. He's like a Southern writer. It's, 
it's beautiful. It's like this epic tale. I would highly recommend it. And then I love spiritual books. I read a lot of them. And actually, I'm just rereading right now. My I think my all-time favorite is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. He's, oh, yeah. He's so amazing. I think he gives you actually concrete practices on how to apply things, which I really... I like. And it's that book is mostly about dealing with your inner critic, right? Like, yeah, making them a separate entity and like listening to them, but like changing their voice so that you know what they sound like so that it's separated from your own voice. Yeah. And it's also how to meet kind of emotion, like when kind of like when you said, what do you do if someone doesn't, you know, receive your dream in a way that you want? It's like meeting whatever that triggers you and like being open to it and feeling the pain and letting it dissolve versus like if you don't feel it. And you just kind of go to Netflix, it gets stuck in you is his philosophy. And I love that. I do too. And it comes out in breath work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And just do breath work as like a fail safe. (laughs) Then it will all come out. (laughs) Um, So this is my, I have two questions. It's a two-parter, but they're my final. And I'm thinking back about this younger version of you who's in the law firm, who's, you know, been trying to quit, but it hasn't quite worked. If you two were looking at each other, like standing in the same room, what would you say to her and why? Oh, wow. I love that. I, I can see her in my, in my mind. And I would like, first of all, just say, I love you so much. And you're doing so amazing. And it's going to get better than you can possibly imagine. And it's going to work out in wild ways that you can't conceive of and just leap. Like actually one of my favorite quotes is you don't leap from A to B, you leap from A and you know, you don't know what B is, but, Aww. and that's, and I would just tell her B will come. And what do you think she would say to you now and why? I think she would say everything's been perfect. You know, I, I understand why I had to go through everything. Mm. And I'm sure she'd say thank you too. Yeah, True. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are so inspirational and so talented. And I'm just super grateful that you took a chance on yourself, that you continue to every day and that you shared your story with me and the creative listening. So thank you so much, Jacqueline. You are a gem. Thank you so much. This was just, my heart feels very, very full speaking to you. And and I have to tell you that you know, I've done a lot of interviews or talked about my book and it's, this feels like, you know, a peek into my soul versus like other interviews about my book, which are beautiful, but I, I really, I loved this. It was, thank you for this conversation. Honored. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Jacqueline Goldis. For more info on Jacqueline and her novel, When We Were Young, you can go to her website, JacquelineGoldis.com and follow her at Jacqueline Goldis on Instagram. Her book is available wherever good books are sold. Thank you so much to Unleash associate producer, Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. You can also tag Jacqueline at Jacqueline Goldis so she can share it too. My wish for you this week is that you make an agreement with yourself, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, that you won't give up on your dream. Then loosen your grip. Open your energetic hands and heart 
and make space for it to happen. Sometimes just that commitment is enough to spark something. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.